embracing our negative emotions allows us to dig a little bit deeper and say, what is this trying to tell me about what I desire? And that's where if I'm in this muck, instead of justifying it and blaming, I become curious. Like, what is it trying to tell me? I'm going to rest in. I know I can stay there forever. I use it to inform me about my desire. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I am pumped to bring you a great conversation I had with Debbie Sade Lambert. Debbie is a relationship educator and coach with a special talent for helping couples to repair and build healthier relationships. She's built a successful 35 plus year career as a life coach and pioneer in the field of personal transformation. She's a certified hypnotherapist, master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming, as well as a best selling author and author of numerous articles about psychology, personal development, and the mind body spirit connection. Basically, she was into coaching before coaching was the cool thing to do. <laughs> we had an awesome conversation about the ladder of love that she created, how to make the shift from annoying to adorable. One of my favorite things that I've learned on the podcast so far, rituals to keep your relationship thriving, how to deal with resistance and negative emotions to help you grow. You can check out her website at lambertcouplestherapy.com and learn more about her practice with her husband, Craig, and the recent book that they wrote titled The Mindful Couple, 52 Strategies to Real Love and Connection. They are also hosting an epic retreat for couples in Baja, California in the fall. You can check out the details in the show notes. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Debbie Sade Lambert. Debbie, welcome. It's so fun to be here. It is fun to be here. I'm already enjoying our conversation. I'm like, let's get this tape recorder rolling already. <laughs> well, it, it's fun because we haven't had a chance to sit down and talk. You're right. And I really admire the work that you're doing Thank and you. who you are. And so I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. It is cool to be able to sit down. I always look forward to the anytime we get a chance to have a conversation and we, cause we always dive deep. Like right. the conversations are always so real and it's not just like, Oh cool. How you doing? What's up? You ask such great questions and you really care. You, you show up with such a presence and you're able to just relate in such a unique way, I think, which is which is very cool. So I always understood it, and I'm very happy that we've been able to develop a friendship and relationship, even though you're technically my mom's friend, I guess. <laughs> I'm everybody's friend you're everybody's in this friend. family. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Exactly. So um, that is definitely a, a really special thing. Do you find that with other relationships as well, that you're able to kind of dive deeper with? Do people give you that feedback across yeah, the board? Yeah, I think it just depends on who it is. I mean, yeah. you know, you as a person, um, that's an interest of yours. It's who you are. It's where your curiosity is. Mm -hmm. It's where your passion and your love. And not everybody's like that. You yeah. know, uh, Craig and I talk about that all the time. Some people are just more interested in sharing their story. Mm. And it's the unique few that are more interested in who are you. Mm. And that's how you show up. And that's why that's what you get back. Yeah. Yeah. That, find the others. That's Those are the others that we're talking about. The ones who want to show up. The ones when you say, how are you? When you ask, how are you? You actually mean it. Right. <laughs> Versus <laughs> just the pleasantry. Exactly. How are you really? <laughs> yeah. How are you really? And I always appreciate that we're able to get that depth in, into it and, and with Craig also. Right. Um, how long have you been with Craig now? Um, is this a quiz? <laughs> Let's see. Ballpark. Ballpark. Uh, no, I think we've been together for about six years Amazing. and married for two. And married for two. Maybe five. I don't know. Yeah. At this age, it's like. Yeah. It's funny because it's it's difficult for me to imagine you 
without Craig or you before Craig, I should say. Right. Like, it's, it's crazy to think that you lived a majority of your life. Right. And before meeting and being in a relationship with and marrying Craig. I'm, I'm curious because I love the work that you guys have done with the book you published right. and, and the work you guys have done with A Mindful Couple. It's very, very fascinating to me. So um, I, I want to kind of jump off that diving board. Okay. <laughs> so um, how were you actively dating before? How did you and Craig end up crossing paths? Well, that's kind of an interesting story because I was single. I divorced in 2003. Mm-hmm. And so we met in, um, I don't know, I can't do the math, <laughs> six years ago, right? Oh, yeah. And it was at a time where my mom, as you remember, was dying and right. she was very resistant to dying. Like, yeah. You know, my whole life, you know, I would say, well, what happens after you die? And she would say, puh, 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 puh. we don't talk about that. God forbid. She said, God forbid. I'm like, yeah. well, wait a second. I think we die. <laughs> Anyhow, so when she started going through the dying process, it was not easy and not pretty. And every day I would come to visit her and, you know, I would say like, you know, when you die, it's okay. It's going to be beautiful. Right, it's going right. to be, you know, and why do we always have to talk about dying? And so I remember pulling up one day and I thought, I've got to help her transition. Yeah. You know, what can I do? Well, she was really addicted to me. We had an interesting relationship. She just was so attached and that was part of it. And I walked in, I just had an intuitive hit and I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask her to find my soulmate for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give her a job. And so I walked in and I said, mom, I said, I've got a favor to ask of you. And immediately she lit up. Because she, like if I could do anything, if she could do anything for me, she wanted to be there. And she says, what? And I said, you know, I've been single for a long time and I'm really ready to find my soulmate. I'm like really, really ready. And she looked at me, she says, yeah. And I said, so if you go to heaven before I do, because that was like, you know, um, if you go to heaven before I do, can you do me a favor? She said, what? And I said, can you find my soulmate? I mean, I don't want just any guy. I really want my soulmate. And she looks at me, she says, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No way. And I thought, okay, you know, like she's got a job. Yeah. Two days later, she died. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, there was a peace that came over her because there was such a panic and such resistance. But once she had that job, I just really felt like she kind of rested Mm. in. So anyhow, long story short, she dies. We're Jewish. We sit Shiva. I spent seven days at home, didn't touch my computer. I did my phone, but I mean, I was, you know, pretty good about disconnecting because yeah. I think the, the process of Shiva is such a beautiful one and I wanted to respect it. Yeah. Anyhow, after Shiva, I get on my computer, I look up, it says, J-date message waiting. And I'm like, shit. Is that okay to say on the podcast? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I said, shit, I thought I canceled J-Date like 10 years ago. No way. And I'm like, oh, God. So I open it up, and then I see this profile, and I read it, and I think, wow, he's actually a pretty good match. But why am I still on J-Date? Like, this is so bad. You weren't getting messages or matches None. in the previous None. years? For years. Wow. For years. Match.com, but not J-Date. It just didn't work for me. So- I contacted him. I, you know, messaged him. He messaged back. We started talking. And I thought, you know, he sounds like a really nice guy, but I was in such a mode of resisting anybody. Mm. I was pushing him away because I think subconsciously I thought if they're resilient, they'll push back. And, you know, if they're worth it, they'll chase me. Mm. And I think that's what kept me single for so many years (laughs) because a lot of people just didn't. So, but... That was Craig who contacted me, and wow. he really did stay in there. I told him I couldn't see him for two months because I was going to Turkey with my daughter, and then I was getting a face peel, and so I wasn't available for two months. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll wait. Wow. He's like, are you sure you can't slip me in? And I'm like, I'm positive. So we stayed in contact over the phone, and the more we did, the more I thought, there's really something here. Mm. And long story short, we finally met. And then we found that there was this connection. It wasn't like for me, for him, it was love at first sight. But for me, it was like love that built. Mm. Because I had such a wall of resistance around me about letting somebody in that it took a while. Yeah. But he... He hung around and kept swinging the uh, swinging the axe. (laughs) He did. He did. And so, you know, because I met him the way I did, 
um, seven days after. I always felt like my mom really orchestrated that. Yeah. And it turned out that his wife had passed away a year before. Mm. So we kind of joke around that it was really Jan and Malka that got together. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's a good story to tell. I really, really like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So he he was saying love at first sight. He was really into it. He knew. Yeah. He knew that there was a certain lightness about us together yeah. that he really fell in love with. And all the boxes were checked. Mm. And the boxes were checked for me as well. Like most of them were checked. Um, Craig, you know, was a therapist. And I was used to dating entrepreneurs who were mm. really like out there and creating. Yeah. And um, so that box wasn't checked. And then I realized over time, like that wasn't meant to be checked. Interesting. That we were meant to come together and share this common um, path of healing and, yeah. you know, work together. Do you believe in soulmates? That's such a good question, Josh. Um, I I think that there, you can have more than one soulmate. Mm -hmm. I think you can have a soulmate as a friend. Um, you could probably have a soulmate as a parent. I think you could have a soul connection with a dog, right? Yeah. yeah. I think you could have like a really heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul connection with just about anybody. And sometimes if you're lucky, it ends up being your spouse, your partner. But I think when we say soulmates, we put such a high elevation to that and yeah. expectation yeah. that what happens in relationships is that we go through the romantic phase and it feels like a soulmate connection until it's not <laughs> until we get into that like control phase. And then it feels so bad because that romantic phase felt so good. Right. And right. now we're in this fighting and we question the integrity of the relationship, the soul connection, when in fact it's perfectly designed to go through that so we can work through all of our issues and end up at what we call true love. Mm. True love is the destination. Well, they say it's true love. True love is an integrated love. When we are attracted to somebody, really have a fun connection, and we work through all the control stuff. Yeah. And then it's like, I would say real love. Mm. It's not based on this like, you know, hormonal stuff, but it digs deep into our issues and we work together to heal them. Yeah. And then we come out and it's not we come out without issues and without conflict. But we come out more integrated and more connected and feeling more safe. Yeah. Because that that, that intermediary like, stage, it feels really unsafe to be in relationship with that person because it felt so good over there. Who the hell are you right. that I'm with now? And so we rally against, we build up walls. And it's only through getting to know and understand our walls, your walls, and learning how to kind of reduce them that we can come to a more integrated, more real place of love and connection. Yeah. And that's where it gets really exciting. That's interesting. I, do you feel like a lot of people hit that first wall of resistance and say, peace, I'm out. This is not right. This is not for me. Do you think we like call that? those runners? <laughs> we call those runners. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, if you have a habit pattern of when something gets uncomfortable of running, and a lot of people do, then you are going to run. But it's usually just a pattern that you probably learned early on. When my ego gets activated, when I assess you're not right for me, whatever, I just run. And, you know, sometimes running is right because that person really isn't a healthy match for you. But you have to understand what your pattern is. Am I just running? Like for I told you when I was dating, you know, my pattern was build up a wall and make them get a, you know, a two by four and, and tear it down. Yeah. <laughs> And if they didn't have that, then that was it. That was just my pattern. Not a healthy one, Yeah. but you know, I just didn't see it. If I saw it, then I would have been able to work through it. When did you finally see it and realize it? Only after I met Craig. After you met Craig. Yeah. Interesting. And that's why I really believe that I was single so long because I had such a wall of resistance mm -hmm. around people coming in. They had to prove. It was a subconscious pattern. Yeah. And I feel like when that awareness came to you through Craig, you probably realized, wow, if if I'm learning this lesson from him already, then maybe maybe there's something here. Right. Well, I didn't learn it right away. It only was after a while. I didn't do couples therapy until I met Craig. So I was working, as you know, in organizations doing executive coaching. Right. And only when I met Craig that I started learning and studying couples therapy and I was bringing it into organizations a little bit. But I really fell in love with it. Yeah. And what I fell in love with, Josh, was that when you're working with an executive, <laughs> you're working with their story of reality. <laughs> well, my employees and yeah. my peers, and oh, really, is that true? And yes, it's true. And it becomes a little frustrating mm -hmm. to dig 
to the truth of the matter. But when you're working with a couple, the truth is sitting right next to you. Hmm. Well, I didn't intend to I didn't intend to make you feel that way, but oh wait a second, but you did. She's telling you right here. Right. Right? So the um, the systemic approach to personal development is so rich when you've got the person, the accountability is like right there. There's no hiding. There's no There's denying. There's no hiding. <laughs> yeah. There's no hiding. It's like, well, how do you feel about what he just said? Does that does that ring true for you on your perspective? No. Okay. So let's let's hear her story, okay? And so it just it's a fun playground and there's so much richness mm. because there's so much insight into another person's perspective, not just living in my head of reality. Right. What what kind of what do you think the biggest misconception people have about couples therapy is? Because I feel like we have this idea in the movies or like, oh, this is the horrible last end resort type of thing. <laughs> and and what's yeah. the breakdown of the different people that because you've worked with a number of couples. Right, right. right. I'm so curious to hear more of the breakdown too of of what people are coming, what types of people are coming, at what stages. Right, right. So two questions. One is the breakdown of people, what do they think about couples therapy? And I would say, I mean, I never gave thought to this question, but it's a good one. What I hear a lot from couples is um, if we have to go to couples therapy, then we don't have the right relationship. Mm. So there's a lot of resistance because I think that even now in today's age, it kind of surprises me. There's a stigma. Yeah. There's something wrong with us if we can't work out our problems on our own. There's some embarrassment about that. Shame. There's shame, right? right? And that usually stems from, you know, some childhood messages that you get about learning and and doing things differently and getting help, right? Um, So, and I I have to say, without sounding too, like, um, gender specific, you can guess, like, which gender is more guilty of that perspective? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's clearly more of the men that tend to be the draggies and the women tend to be the draggers into therapy. And we see that a lot. Um, But I have to say that, you know, I'm always surprised and really pleased and um, in awe of when they do show up as draggies that they actually sometimes often show up. That's good. You know, they're surprised that it's kind of a safe and um, enlightening process because they're not getting blamed. Right. They're just learning about patterns and, and different ways of approaching things. And they have to be open to it to a certain extent to let that actually sink in, though, right? They have to be open, but... Open enough. Open enough. Yeah. Open enough. If they're completely closed, then yeah, You just absolutely. need a little, the door to be just open ever so slight and you can nudge your way in there. Exactly. Exactly. And I've had a few that just were so closed that, yeah. you know, they, they might have gotten that much of insight. Right. It's interesting, the stigma around that. I feel like it's shifting Mm -hmm. with therapy, with coaching generally, especially for this younger age. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because everybody was put into therapy. But like Probably. Yeah. But I I do think that it's it's shifting this idea of mental health and mental wellness. Right. Hey, maybe there's some things the same way that I had coaches growing up and and teachers in school and in sports. Maybe there's some value to continue that form of education past graduating college. And we say, cool, now we're done learning everything. Right. And you've been a coach before it was trendy and cool to be a coach. Right. You've been People a coach are like, what, what is a coach? Yeah. What is that? So I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your experience in that. In, in coaching? Yeah. And people's resistance to it or? Yeah. Well, let's see. I guess I'm curious to hear about. The let's let's start with like this the stigma or the evolution of the stigma. Do you see it shifting? Do you see it shifting in couples therapy? Do you see it shifting in coaching in general? What have you seen? Well, let's just say I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology in '83. Okay, and that immediately went to work at San Diego Gas and Electric as an organization development consultant. Mm. And I remember back then people were like, "Yeah, so who what? are you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just graduated, and we really had to learn on the job." So, you know, I think there was a lot of resistance in the organization because they didn't know who we were. So the first part of what we had to do is educate them as to what our purpose was. Right. And um, and so from the very beginning, there was a lot of um, murkiness around the job that I did. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed over time, I think to answer your question, it's certainly become more um, trending, more clear, and more... um, 
people are embracing it more than ever before. Right. I think people get exactly what we said that, you know, we have a coach for all these different things. Why not a coach for your love relationship? Right. Or for your personal development. You know, people have had, my generation, we didn't have coaches. I mean, girls didn't even go into sports. Craig says, well, what sports did you play growing up? It's like, I didn't. You know, we, I, there were no teams. You know, I wish there yeah. were, but there just wasn't. I went to ballet and I had guitar lessons and cooking lessons. I went to singer <laughs> sewing school. Right. I mean, it was just like a different world, right? Yeah. But now, you know, men and women, girls and boys are really brought up with the idea of you get a coach, you get a tutor, you get help mm-hmm. for whatever it is that you want to do because that's how you get better. Yeah. And in organizations now too, it's not uncommon to have, uh, you know, an executive coach or somebody that's around that's supporting the team in these different, in these different ways. Yeah. And so when I first started executive coaching, when I went off on my own from SDG&E, there was still quite a resistance to it. Like, are you serious? I need an executive coach. It was like a punishment. Mm. Um, But then now I think it's more like I get an executive coach. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a powerful shift. It is. What do you think the effects of that are going to be in the next decade plus? Well, I think they can only be good. I think when having a coach becomes a good thing, becomes a sought after thing, then the way we show up for coaching is transformed. Mm. And the the quality of coaching can then therefore be transformed. So it's going to be, I think it's going to, I think, I don't know, but I think that it's going to change the flavor of the organization and that's going to become the norm. It's personal development is part of how we do business and how we show up and what we strive for. And and back in the day, you know, when I was first doing this, it wasn't, it was focus and drive and that's it. Hmm. And I worked for a company called the, um, they, I don't even think they're doing it now because of COVID, but the global Institute for leadership development. And so what we did is we brought coaches in, I mean, um, top leaders from big organizations all over the place. And we assessed them in all these dimensions and focus and drive was the top um, competency for them. I mean, these are, okay, now these are like high achieving guys, right? Yeah. But guess what the, the lowest competency was? What out was of it? Emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? So there's, you know, a real value in the organization for the for them to develop it because they see the leaders in the organization see if you don't have emotional intelligence, the um, the backlash, the consequence of that. You know, that you may be good at developing a team because you have, you know, technical competence, but you're pissing everybody off. You're not working across um, divisions. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I think organizations are starting to see that and they're hiring differently mm-hmm. and they're developing differently and they're resisting the temptation of, of hiring the high technical person and putting mm-hmm. them in a position of leadership. Maybe a position of like consulting, but not leadership. Yeah, that's a that's a big shift. What, yeah. what are some of the, I guess, best flavors that you saw in in the companies or qualities that made really good companies or cultures thrive? Well, it starts from the top up. I mean, it sounds so cliche, yeah. but when the leader of the organization really, at a soulful level, in, embodies it, and it's not just oh we went for a team building session and we have this new set of values and this new mission and you guys follow it, but they're a real exciting part of it. That's who they are at their core, Mm. that there's alignment in the organization instead of hypocrisy. And so if people see like, well, the top leadership team is not doing it and they're forcing us to go through these classes, it just becomes a big eye roller. So I would say um, integration from top to bottom with the message. Very cool. Yeah. And having a message. I feel like and that's having a message. Part. They have a message. I think that people have a message. They just don't know how to be in alignment with it. So if I articulate a set of values, then it's not just check, I paid the consultant fifty thousand dollars and goodbye and it goes in a drawer. But it's like when when it gets tough, when we have a meeting, when we have conflict, we look at our values and say, okay. Are we in alignment or out of alignment? Let's go through it. Honesty. Are we being honest? Come on. Let's be honest mm. about being honest. Let's go, you know, and you go through each of the values and say, okay, we're not in alignment there. So what do we do? How do we behave if we were in alignment? And so it's it's a test. It's a, a standard by which we can shift into who we say we want to be. 
I feel like there's some parallel to that and the relationship coaching or relationship yeah. therapy. Is there certain similar exercises or is that something that you have done in your relationship, either personally yeah. or in your relationship or with your with your couples you work with? Yeah, that's so insightful, Josh, because you're absolutely right. And I, you know, having come from organizations, the parallels to one-on-one, you know, partnerships are are like so yeah, exact, sure. right? I'm and sure. that's why I love the transition. Um, so what we do with our couples is we do we do a vision with them because, you know, it sounds kind of like trite in a way, like a oh, vision, you know, but it's unbelievable to me when you have a couple that's pretty high functioning. In other words, there's, there's little conflict. They get through it effectively. They know how to repair. They've got some really good foundational skills, but then you say, okay, let's develop a vision. Let's just, you know, mm. and you have them do it individually and then talk about it. How there's a real misalignment on a couple of things that are hmm. super, super important and that just never got brought up. Why? Because you don't want to rock the boat that's, you know, going along so well. Right. So we kind of submerge our needs because there's never been a call to bring them to the surface. Got it. And a vision does that beautifully. When you say vision, is there a guideline to that vision? Is there a structure to it? Or is it just, what's the vision for this? Well, we have a structure that we, yeah, we have categories and we have a process for them to go through Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But basically you're just saying, you know, in five to 10 years, where do we want to be? And is this an alignment? And I've done it in different ways. I mean, we have one process of doing it, but (laughs) I had somebody this guy I was meeting with, this the husband to be, and he really didn't want to do the vision. He's like, I don't want to do it. I said, What's so hard about the vision? Help me understand. And he's like, I just don't want to do it. And I said, Okay. I said, Can I do it with your, you know, fiance? And he's like, Oh yeah, that's fine. I said, Would you just watch? He said, Oh yeah, I'll just watch. And I said, Would you take notes? And he's like, I'm on it. And so I did an exercise with her, like one year from now, where do you see, you know, the two of you you are? And it was just a really creative, Mm because I knew she was really creative. And uh, she brought up so many things and he's writing them down. And then I, and then it was a great intervention. And then I said to him, I said, did you get everything? He said, oh yeah. I said, did you agree with everything? He says, all but one. I said, okay. I said, is it okay if you read them and we'll just see what they are? And he read them and we talked about the one where there was a disagreement. And I said, so you did a good job creating a vision today. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you tricked me. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. So, you know, sometimes, you know, whatever you're working on, you just have to understand the players and what's going to work. Yeah. And, you know, even something as simple as a vision, some people just don't want to do. Right. For whatever reason. Yeah. That's, that's really, I I can, I can imagine the benefits like do vision for your, you know, for your business or for your personal growth and development. So it makes sense to do it for relationships as well. Right. And then what flows from the vision are of course the values. Mm. So we articulate the values. And then once there's agreement on that, it's like, well, how do you support them? And what we, where we go is the rituals. Like what rituals Mm. are you doing and what rituals can you do that puts you in alignment with where you want to go? Tell me more about rituals. Well, rituals are anything that you do on a consistent basis that are in alignment with what you, who you want to be and how you want to move through life together. So, you know, I'll give you an example for Craig and I, you know, one of the things that we want to do is we want to connect every day and we want to be able to, you know, really appreciate one another all the time. So one of our rituals when we wake up in the morning or we go to bed is to give each other an appreciation. And so it's like, one thing I appreciate about you today was, and the reason that's so important to me is, and, and knowing that it made me feel blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you could ask also, and one thing, it reminds me of something I got in my childhood or I didn't get. Hmm. Yeah. Bringing that next level of insight, yes. pattern, awareness. Right. Because sometimes something's so important to me because I just didn't get it in my childhood. And when you did that for me. It really touched my heart. Hmm. And it's it's pattern awareness, but it's also really giving your partner awareness of like who you are and what's important. And I feel like that's got to be liberating to just open up and share that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And to be, have it received. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So you do that every night and every morning? We, we used to. And, you know, rituals are something that you don't have to like carve out and, and like never change them. So yeah. we kind of fell off of that as uh-huh. a hard, fast ritual. And then, you know, our rituals change. They shift for sure. They shift, right? So, you know, another ritual we had was intuitive writing um, because we were exploring different um, things that we were creating and different questions that we were wanting to answer. So we were doing creative writing in the morning or in the evening as a ritual. Mm. But now our ritual is (laughs) we get up in the morning, we have coffee, either Craig brings it to me or I bring it to him. We switch off. Nice. Whoever brings the first cup has to bring the second cup. Seems like (laughs) a punishment, but it's just the way it is. And then we talk about like, how was your sleep? What did you dream about? And then we go into like work because we're like, you know, practice has gotten pretty busy Mm -hmm. and it's a way for us to connect. And it's not a meeting, but sometimes it it feels like that, but in a good way. Yeah. Like we're tired, but we're connecting. So, you know, what's going on with that? I don't know. I'll check, you know, but I think that, interesting. you know, for us, for what we really believe is as long as it feels good and it feels flowy, then that's where we should go. Yeah. And I think when things get out of whack and they feel like resistant and not as flowy, then you want to check in. Like, what are we doing ritualistically that may need to shift? And that's where you want to go. Sometimes we block, we get blocked without even realizing. So it's just a check in. Yeah. It's fascinating because I was just talking with a, with a friend earlier about mm-hmm. our emotions are always giving us feedback. Yes. giving us feedback of how exactly. in alignment we are, maybe right. what resistance we have, how we exactly. feel about certain things. Yeah. It's like the check engine light on. Right. <laughs> it's not helpful to drive around on your dashboard and 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 not have and put a post-it notes all over your dashboard for speed, for for check engine, for engine temp, for right. gas. It's it's helpful to get that mm-hmm. feedback so that we can adjust or adapt mm-hmm. or shift our focus or steer differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I always love looking at emotions, specifically the negative emotions. They're helpful. They're there. They serve a value because right. they're giving us that feedback. Exactly. Exactly. And you raise such a good point, Josh, because most people, it's like, I'm feeling angry and I want to get rid of the anger. So what do I do? I'll just ignore it. I'll shove mm-hmm. it down. And then it's going to come out the other way. So embracing our negative emotions allows us to dig a little bit deeper and say, what is this trying to tell me about what I desire, what I want, what I need, what's missing? Mm. And that's where if I'm in this muck of negative emotion, instead of justifying it and blaming, I say, okay, I become curious. Like, what's it trying to tell me? I'm going to rest in. I know I can stay there forever, but I use it to inform me about my desire. And then connect it back to your desire. Connect it back to desire. I always say that buried within the muck, which I refer to as resistance, mm-hmm. is the seed of our desire. Hmm. And we usually just focus on the muck and we rally against it and we make it bigger, of course, right? So, you know, we get angry and, and we justify and we blame and we criticize. It's all out there, you know, rather than taking a breath and saying, I'm angry. What is it saying about what's missing for me? What is it saying about what I desire? Getting curious. And the minute I do that, then my body, my nervous system just starts to settle in because now I'm on a scavenger hunt. Ah, I really need blah, blah, blah from her. Okay. Now, once I know my desire, then I've got, I'm connected to possibility. So good. <laughs> very, very well articulated. I love that. So where do you have a story? Do you have uh, something in your life where you felt like this is a lot of muck? There was a mucky right. situation where you were able to navigate to that seed, nurture that seed into blossoming into something. That's such a good question. I'm trying to think of a recent example. Yeah. I mean, there's so many throughout life. Yeah. You live this long. You've got a lot of muck that yeah, you sort of Yeah, that's what I'm curious. What wisdom do you got? <laughs> and, you know, I think that I've worked through so much and yet I'm still faced with muck. So I think probably we say we're going to talk politics. Yeah. But, um, you know, Craig and I are in different spectrums of the political experience. And historically, from the moment we met, there have been differences. And neither one of us, funny enough, are really that political. We're not that tuned in. We're not that knowledgeable. But we align with a certain perspective. Maybe not 100%, but it makes sense. And so because of the way the cable TV news and all that stuff has played out, it became very polarizing in our relationship. Interesting. Yeah. And so just from this last election, 
Yeah. I um, could feel that my resistance to him and his narrative um, got pretty high. Yeah. And, you know, what we know about resistance, and I'm sure you're well aware that, you know, we're vibrational beings. Yeah. And when I'm in a state of resistance, which is muck, which is what you're asking about, it lowers my entire vibration. So it's not just like I'm mad at you because you see things and you're articulating a certain way, but now it affects everything. And I noticed it affecting my work, hmm. like how we were showing up in, in these sessions. I was still okay, but it, I wasn't having as much fun. And I didn't feel like, I'm sure you know in your sessions and all the work that you do, sometimes you're just on, yep. you're connected, yep. you know, and sometimes maybe not as much, right? Yep. And I realized that through this resistance that was playing out at home because of the pol political differences, it was really affecting my connection for the work that I do. And that was not okay. And it was like I embraced the knowledge and the awareness of that because I knew I could shift. Right. And so it was like, okay, this is great. It's given me an opportunity to shift through what I'm judging and resisting and embrace it instead. Mm. And that's really the shift that has to take place. I can accept it or I can embrace it a next step up. Yeah. So how do you embrace something that you really are judging? That's That was my next question. I you just it asked it. Be. <laughs> I'm still working on that now. Yeah. What I mean, what I think, Josh, in and I've used this so much in um, in couples therapy, is you gotta you gotta play the shift, which is I call annoying to adorable. Hmm. And I can I don't know how much time we have. How we we have we have time. We have we as have much. Time. We have time. We have time. We have time. Okay. So annoying to adorable is something that I realized, you know, we talk about quantum physics and, and quantum movement and things that can happen so quickly. And I believe that the shift from annoying to adorable is a quantum shift. In other words, once I make it, things happen really quickly. So let me give you an example of how that works with in my relationship. So Craig, when I first met him, was a slob in the kitchen. I mean, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, yeah. he had dishes stacked up in his apartment and I'm looking at it and I came from an OCD mom, kitchen was perfect, you know, and I looked at his, his dishes when I first met him, I thought, this isn't going to fly for me. I can't live like this. So I remember asking him like, do you always have dishes? You know, everything else in his apartment was perfect. And he's like, yeah, I, I should have gotten to him, but I, you know, whatever. When it came time to moving in, I said, you know what? Like, you're really pretty clean and neat, but the dishes in the sink is a pet peeve of mine. I'm like OCD. Mm -hmm. And so can you promise to like just put your dishes in the dishwasher after you use them? And he's like, of course, 100% done. And I'm like, okay, that was easy. So everything's going fine until like three weeks later, like I see a dish. <laughs> I'm like... Is this the beginning of the end? <laughs> and so I just pick it up and put it away. And then the next day there's another dish and a spoon and another, you know. And I'm like, this is going in the wrong direction. So I, Craig, remember when you moved in and, and we talked about like dishes in the sink? I'm crazy, OCD. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And he put it away. Well, this continued on. His leaving dishes in the sink escalated, as did my reaction to it. Hmm. And then I remember going to the, um, and it's pretty high now. And I remember going into the kitchen and there was like all these dishes. He made eggs and it was like the whole thing. And I'm thinking, I'm so annoyed with him. And it was escalating between the two of us. And then I thought, Debbie, like you got to follow your own work, like annoying to adorable. And I looked at those dishes and I said, he's so cute. <laughs> he's so cute. Wow. Look at him and his little dishes. <laughs> you know, he's like a little boy. Yeah. And just then he walked in and I looked at him and I said, Craig. He said, what? I said, come here. <laughs> I said, see these dishes? I said, it's adorable that you leave them in the, but can you put them in the dishwasher? And he's like, oh God, I'm sorry. And had I not done that shift, we would have gotten to a big fight at that point. Mm. I would have said, you're always leaving your dishes in the sink. I told you, you know, it would have gone down that path, right? right. And so shifting um, from resistance to embracing what's going on happens when we take the energy of love and apply it to any situation. And when I look at somebody, myself or you or whatever's going on, it's adorable. I can see the innocence. I can see the love. I can see who he really is. And I focus on that. And it's from that energy that I make a loving request. And that's a very different place to be. 
and I feel light, I feel loving, and he does too. So I forgot what your question was, but that was the answer. That was the answer. <laughs> question was irrelevant. That was the answer. That is beautiful. The shift from annoying to adorable. Yeah. Because then you can, I feel like you can, you can really love him more too, because you're appreciating him for all who he is. A hundred percent. And I, and I make it a lot with him. I mean, and not because he's so annoying, but you know, sometimes like I just don't see adorable. And I'll just see him running around and we're both busy and I'll just take a breath and just see him as adorable. Mm. And it shifts and elevates the vibration between the two of us. And as a result, the two right. of us have a very playful, fun relationship. Yeah. And when we don't, we know we need a shift. It's a great tool to use in, in, a, in a partnership, in any business relationship. Exactly. With your family. Right. Especially with your family, I especially feel Especially like with well. your family. I know. My sister and I, like, you know, we have a history of, you know, kind of like tense interaction, some resistance. And, you know, I, I use it with, with her and with everybody, yeah. really. Whenever it gets tense, you were saying earlier, it's like you can feel it. The gift of resistance is right. that you can feel it. It's informative. <laughs> right. And so you can feel the release of it as well. Feel the release of it. If you can feel it and you don't know where to shift, which is always to love, then you're just feeling it. You're just stuck at awareness. Mm. And then you're going to go back into the muck if you don't have the tools to shift up. Is there a memory that comes to mind of the hardest shift to love that you had to make? Ooh. Or, or a difficult shift, a challenge that you went through in your lifetime and, and yeah, yeah. shifted to it. Yeah. So probably, um, I don't think he listens to any of this, so I can say my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was stuck in the muck with that whole situation for many years. Hmm. And, you know, I would tell the story about how, you know, it was just a terrible situation financially and there was a lot of blame and there was just a lot of muck, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, over the years, I started letting it go because it just wasn't worth it. And I realized how futile sticking to that story was. I still carried it in my heart, but I didn't discuss it anymore. And it was only like relatively recently within the last since I met Craig that I realized that I needed to shift to love with him as well. And I used that shift on him. Like, isn't he adorable with his little, you know, little controlling things, you know? Mm. It's, and then I, it, when, when you make that shift, you open up to all these other emotions that are so a part of who we really are, like compassion. You know, when I look at him as adorable, I have compassion for his upbringing. Um, when I shift to adorable, I I feel the tenderness that, tries to come through, but is blocked, but I focus on the tenderness. When I shift to adorable, I see the the wisdom that's there that was blocked before because I was too focused on the resistance. It changes form pretty quickly. That's why we call it, the, I call it the quantum shift. It is a quantum shift. It's a magic shift. Yeah. Yeah. So simple too, right? Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. Annoying to adore. And Annoying adorable is adorable. a fun word too, because it's, it's playful. It's light. It's like, it's the same, you know, I, I feel like parents probably experience this with little kids. I've experienced exactly. it with puppy where it's like the puppy's doing so, like a perfect example. I'm sitting literally, I sit there a lot of the time when I'm doing my work and I'm on Zoom calls or whatever. I'll be doing a podcast interview right. and my dog, my lady comes up to the door here and she has no regard for doors. Like she right. will open doors. She will open doors that are closed. She, right. will, she can open doors that you have to pull to open. I don't know She's how. She's smart. Or She's smart and she is super adorable in that right. way where yeah. she'll be ran she'll like ram her head and she knows how to hit the angle perfectly so right. the door pops open yeah and sometimes it takes a few goes so i'll be sitting here on an important call or a podcast right. or something and i i hear i see lady over there like trying to barge in right and she finally barges in and the door swings open so now there's noise coming from the other parts of the house right and i'm just thinking this is and i caught myself the other day being like this is so annoying. Like, lady, stop. And then I just stopped instantly and just started laughing and being like, Yeah. I, I can't help but I can't help but just laugh and love you because that is the most adorable thing ever. Exactly. <laughs> so you did that shift very beautifully and very naturally. You caught yourself in it without yeah. even knowing it. And so our hearts always want to move in that direction. Hmm. But our thoughts are just, you know, our resistance gets in the way. So who's gonna win? But once you understand the shift, you always know the direction to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
did you, where did you learn, how did you develop some of these insights and wisdoms? What kind of either teachers, like, did you learn this kind of stuff in school, the psychology? How have you developed this, this awareness and this mindset? Well, I think over the years, you just, you, you read things and it resonates with you and mm -hmm. it sticks and it guides you. But um, probably the thing that happened the most significantly in the direction of love was, you probably know that I was, my parents again, um, were both elderly and they used to call like 911 a lot, like, you know, cause you, that's what happens when you get older. Yeah. And in this night, both of them called, one called for both of them. So they both ended up in the emergency room wow. for different reasons, you know, independent reasons. Yeah. And so I'm like wheeling both of them to the car. <laughs> and it was like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I was exhausted. It was a 40 minute drive from home. And they're in the car and I'm driving them home, literally exhausted and, but not resistant, just tired. So yeah. it was kind of like almost in a meditative state, but they're bickering. I'm like, are you serious? It was funny to me. And I'm driving and they're bickering and I just kind of tuned them out because I was tired, right? And then, this has never happened before, but then like in the corner of my eye, like right there, this thing came, I could see it so clearly. And it was the ladder of, it said life. I've since changed it to ladder of love, but I've realized love and life are the same thing, right? <laughs> I like that. So it was this muck and I could see this muck and I'm like, that's weird. And I'm driving and... And then this ladder emerged, and the ladder had um, three levels. The first one, well, the muck said, resisting what is. And then it was awareness, um, seeing what is. And then it was acceptance, allowing what is. And then it was love, embracing what is. Hmm. And then there were these magnets from love going down into the muck and lifting lifting people out. I didn't see people, but it was just lifting. Hmm. And there was a bunch of words and stuff. And I went home and I wrote it down. I dropped my parents off. safely, yeah. <laughs> And then I went home and in the middle of the night, I'm writing this down because I knew I would forget it. And then funny enough, I came the next day and showed your mom. Right. Who's really into the Kabbalah. And I yeah. said, what do you think, Linda? You know, she's like, I don't know. This is kind of cool. And a week later, she's like, Debbie, I'm reading the Kabbalah. And this is so consistent with it. But this was like years ago, and um, I was working as an executive coach in organizations, and so I ran it past some of my people in organizations, and the overwhelming thing was, you can't take this into organizations. And I'm like, why not? And they said, because the top is love. Hmm. And at least put action or implementation. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, probably, but it, I, I got such a clear download. I want to respect it. I don't get it either, but you there's know, there's something here. There's something here. Yeah. So from that point on, everything that I read, it's like, that's the ladder. That's the ladder. Mm. That's the ladder. And so I started really embracing um, all the information that was coming to me from many teachers, Wayne Dyer, Esther Hicks. I mean, so many. Um, yeah. And it all was in alignment. And then I started incorporating into my teachings. Very cool. Yeah. I can, I can see, I can hear the influence from Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks in the language that you use, right. which I love yeah, <laughs> so much, yeah. which is great. Then those teachers are, those teachers are powerful. And the cool thing is how Very accessible powerful. those teachers and how accessible their teachings mm -hmm. are today to be able to consume through YouTube, through social media, through books. Right, right. And, and, you know, Esther's teachings, which are so powerful and I love her, but they really date back way before her. Right. And I think it's like when something is really the truth, then it just it stands the test of time. Yeah. And I think Esther would be the first one to say, like, I'm not the only teacher of right. this. Like we all channel this information, this wisdom, this truth about life and how it works. And we just do it in different ways. Yeah. And and yeah. would you say that when something resonates, is that an indication of that quote unquote truth? How do you know when something is true? Yeah, I, I mean, I can speak just personally yeah. about that. But yeah, I think that um, I've built myself um, probably, you know, a body of things that resonate. So it's kind of like politics in a way, right? Yeah. Like, I believe this is you, the truth. You built your so it's like, structure. It's yeah. confirmation bias. Yeah. Oh, that fits, that fits, that fits. Um, but I do think that your gut is um, probably a good indicator. Yeah. That, that just feels good. You get the goosebumps. It just feels right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Interesting. That's very fascinating to me. A question for you back on the relationship standpoint. Yes. Um, 
what advice do you have actually before we jump back to relationships knowing what you know now right having lived the the rich life experiences that you have lived right what advice would you go back and give to your younger self Cliche question, but I always love the responses. Yeah. What advice about relationships? And just in general. Just in general. Oh, in general. Yeah. Younger self. Let's say, let's say at the age or the time in life where you had how how long were you working at SDG before you went? About to, seven or eight years. Okay, so you're there for, yeah. for a bit. So let's right. say halfway into your time at SDG and E, you're kind of torn towards the end. Clearly, there's probably something that came up in you where you were like, Is there something more? Where direction do I go? at that time. Right. Yeah. So I think what happens when you're earlier in your career is your ego gets in the way. You want to mm. look good. You want to be right. You want to make your mark. And it's so ego driven. And that's not necessarily bad, but you become, it's easy to fall in the trap of being right and proving yourself. Yeah. And that's just subject to a lot of resistance. So it's, it's subject to a lot of like, I'm better than that person. You're comparing yourself. And it gets you out of alignment with um, why you're here. I do believe, and I've started working recently with some younger people, so it's given me some interesting insights. But I do believe that we're put on this planet with um, certain superpowers, certain things that we're just uniquely good at. Not that we're the only person on the planet, but that these are our gifts. And we're meant to go out into the world and implement to add value into this world. And it's a very special thing. So I think one thing that I would tell my younger self is pay attention to what you're really good at. Mm. Don't disown it. Don't brush it aside, but really embrace it because that is something that you're meant to go out and do in the world and add value. Mm. So that would be one thing that I would tell. That's powerful. (laughs) That's really, really powerful. Well, it's powerful because I think that we disown what we're really good at because it just comes so natural to us. Yeah. You know, and I see that all the time with people. It's like my sister is really, really talented at making jewelry and she'll show me something. It's like, oh my God, that's amazing. Eh, just, you know, it's right. like, no, it's not an eh. It's like not everybody can do that. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, it's like it's own your power, own what you're good at. What were your powers at that point or what were you good at at that point? Probably. Um, Ruth's making faces. Nice. <laughs> I knew that was an issue that, that of having was, you sit on right, that side exactly, of the table. Exactly. Was that you would have uh, fans distracting yes, you. Yes, they're the fans. <laughs> um, so I think what I my power must have been listening. Hmm. That um, I remember as a young child, even in my home environment, my mom and my sister were in conflict. And both of them would come to me for airing their grievances, even at a really young age. And so I found myself in the middle of the two of them. Not a healthy position, but it's where I found myself. Mm -hmm. And it was comfortable for me. It was just like, well, what you need to do is you need to tell her and you need to talk to her and you need to just like understand that mom's this way. And when I got to school, I started studying psychology, not because I wanted to be a psychologist. I was just, I gravitated to the information. I was thirsty for information. And I didn't want to be a psychologist. Why? Because I thought I grew up doing that. Hmm. And I didn't want to sit behind a desk and, you know, administer advice. What I didn't realize is that I had a gift and that if I got trained, there were a lot of other opportunities to implement that. I didn't really have a mentor to talk it Mm -hmm. through, but I poo-pooed the gift because poo-poo that came from my mother that's a great i was admiring that's a brilliant use of the language i love it (laughs) i dismissed the gift um because it came so natural yeah so yeah it's it's interesting because i think that a lot of people aren't aware necessarily of what kind of applications there are for those things maybe you really enjoy this but i could never do that in a meaningful way and and now more than ever the ability to make income i mean all all money is just energy right it's just a value exchange so you provide value to someone they provide value in return. You receive value in return. It's a give and receive exchange. So the the ability to reach people now and the ability to uniquely add value and receive an income in return, the barrier to entry has never been lower. And it's just getting lower and lower and lower every single day with the accessibility of technology and the accessibility of 
garnering attention and getting people's attention and being able to find certain people who you know you can add value to online at the click of a button, right? which is pretty cool. So I, I think that if you're somebody that has a, a unique ability or has the superpowers you said or is good at something, it's it's worthwhile exercise to explore. Ask yourself, what are potentially some other applications that I might not even, because you had no clue what you were doing right now was possible. Right. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember being in, in school. I was so against psychology. And um, I remember going in in your junior year. Did you have to do this? And if you don't declare, you probably declare. Yeah, declare. If you don't declare, you have to go in and declare. Like you have to make that decision. Now you have to declare before you even go to the university pretty much. Yeah, it was it was a different <laughs> yeah, world back yeah, then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I went into that meeting and I'm thinking, I don't know what I want to do. The night before, I'm going through the, you know, the catalog, you know, <laughs> astronomy, biology, chemistry, you know, I was going in alphabetical order. And I was kind of nervous because I didn't know what to do. And so she's filling out the paperwork and I'm like, oh God, what do I want to do? I couldn't figure it out last night. And she's like, so you're a psychology major. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. I said, no, I, that's not what I want to do. And she puts the pen down. And she's like, what do you want to do, Debbie? I'm like, I'm not sure. I thought maybe we can discuss it. And she, she's like, okay, if you want to discuss it, we can. But if you go with psychology... Do you, are you aware that you already completed the degree? I'm like, what? She says, well, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. You can graduate early if you declare psychology. Wow. I'm like, go ahead and put me down for psychology. <laughs> I'm out of here. And so I graduated with a degree in psychology without really wanting one. Hmm. And had I had somebody to mentor me, like if I knew what I knew now, I would say to myself, like embrace it. There's something about psychology that touches your heart. As you said before, you feel it in your gut. Um, it really, really fascinated me. I was always fascinated, always fascinated with why people do what they do. Yeah. It just from a very early age. Yeah. Just I was a big observer of human nature and, and, and human beings. It was just like thought everybody was. But I didn't have anybody to talk about it and talk about what are the possibilities given that that's mm. part of my nature and part of my skill set, so to speak. Didn't seem like a skill set. I like that. Yeah. Very different world the universities are now. I know. I know. <laughs> now it's a game of well, how can I graduate the quick? Because what I'm getting from that is that you, for the first couple of years, you took classes that you were interested in. Because I was able to. Because you were that able was to. The last, this is in 1975. Mm -hmm. And that was the last year. Then they started saying you can't take whatever you want to fulfill. It was really loose. Yeah. You want you yeah. know to fill this, you can take from all these different disciplines. I just right. took psychology. Yeah. And sociology. Mm. So you can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's definitely for certain. Wow. I know. <laughs> Another question for you in the relationship space or dating space. What advice would you give to single people who are wanting a relationship? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I even feel qualified for that. Well, maybe I am. <laughs> Weren't you single for a number of years? I was single, but I didn't remember. I didn't do a very good yeah, job of yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, having worked with so many couples and seeing where the right. relationship falls down, um, I think one of the things that people, there's so many things that breakdowns that people have, but one of the things I would say is probably be a better listener. Mm. That, um, you know, I was a good listener, but I can see it in therapy and I can see it in the people that I dated. You know, all they really want to do is talk about themselves. Yeah. And because I was a good listener, I nurtured it. You know, and Craig, my husband, you know, he complains about that a lot. And he loves you because you're one of the few people that really want to hear what he has to say and you ask good questions. Right. But that's such a, um, it's one of your superpowers. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, but we we're not curious enough about the other person and we let the relationship get out of sync. And so, you know, I experienced it on the other end, just like Craig. I ex I'm the one that was always asking questions and I was, I was taking response. I was responsible for the out of syncness of the relationship by being such a good listener. Interesting. Yeah. But I think you, you want to be able to be a really good listener, but you also want to be able to create balance. Yeah. And share. <laughs> and share. Yeah. And so I learned to do that. But I would say listening is the biggest breakdown in relationships. And so one of the foundational skills we teach people right off the bat is something we call deep listening.
And it's new for people. People don't know how to do it. They say they do. And then it's like, let's try it. What does deep listening look like? Well, it's got three components. Okay. And the first component is something you probably referred to as reflective listening. So that's repeating back what the person's saying. We call mm-hmm. it mirroring. It comes from uh, not John Gottman's work, but I'll think of his name yeah. in a second. But anyhow, so um, it's like, so basically what I hear you saying is right. that feels so good to the to the um, to speaker, be to be heard. Yeah. And then you say, did I get it? Wow. If Once the person says, did I get it? What that says is, I really want to get you. How many mm. times does that happen in the in a conversation that's really important and deep? Did I get that? And then the person says, well, kind of. The other thing that I was trying to say is blah, 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 blah. And then you repeat that back. So, okay, so I get it. So you're also trying to say A, B, and C. Did I get that? Yeah, you got it. Now, here comes the magic words. Is there more? <laughs> <laughs> The magic word. The magic. That's probably where the real juice comes out. Right, there, right? exactly. I'm going to give you the surface. You know, we always say like, we That's usually, great. we have like two or three sentences of good listening in us. And then we're off to the races in our own heads. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when some, but when you sit down and somebody says, is there more? Wow. That opens up the other person. Right. So deep listening is that, is mm-hmm. repeating back, did I get it? Is there more? It's just powerful stuff, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I see the the powerful techniques too and just in coaching and the coaching work that I've done in the past and, and I do currently of that's so much of it. It's like de-escalating the whole uh, Stephen Covey seek first to understand, then right. be understood. But that seems like a really great practical way of how do you understand someone better? You got to get on the same page first. Right, right. Well, what I just described to you in mirroring, it's it's a skill set, right? But the mindset is what Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand before being understood. But also, um, it's a mindset of curiosity. Yeah. Like what you say matters to me. Right. And I want to know everything that's mm-hmm. going through, even if I disagree with it. I really want to know what's going on with you. And I'm here yeah. to listen. And then I'll let you know what's and going exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. two-way street, right? Yeah. But I'm, we jump to give our perspective before we fully, right. deeply listen. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking of this analogy of just, uh, there's this there's this funny video I saw online of like these two babies that are, these two toddlers that are talking in gibberish to each other and just kind of like shouting. And I feel like when we're not listening, that's kind of what we're doing. We're just like kind of talking at each other, just gibberish back and forth without any actual exchange happening, which first needs to come from understanding and listening. Right, right. And the reason we don't listen to each other is we don't feel safe with each other. And so we we put up these walls and the wall doesn't include listening. It just includes walling off. Why do you think that is? Because there's been prior hurts that haven't been repaired and I assess you as unsafe and I can't trust you. And a lot of times that goes back into childhood. Like maybe I had a father who was always criticizing me and making me feel not good enough. And then you happen to be a pretty good criticizer. And now I just feel really unsafe with you because it's tied back or triggered Mm. to something that happened earlier on. And that's something in therapy that we really uncover pretty quickly because when I'm triggered back to my childhood or it may be even a bad relationship, then it's like, you got to find that trigger yeah. to heal it. Otherwise it's like. <laughs> and and from what I found doing some of that work, when you heal that trigger, then it's domino effect and then it just exactly. like, doo, 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 and just knocks down exactly to, the present, to the present moment and then it's no longer triggering. You know, memory, and yeah. you work it. Then it is. It's exactly a domino effect, yeah. and it's a beautiful thing. Now I show up, you know, a hundred percent different, yeah, and available for you. So, so mirroring is the first step, and then the second step is really just validation. You know, I've heard you carefully, and what you're saying makes sense. Wow, that's pretty powerful. What you're saying makes sense, even if I disagree with it. How many times have you? really strongly disagreed with somebody. Imagine a political conversation. I've listened to you carefully and what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. And what makes sense is, and you tell them what makes sense. And so that's validation. It calms somebody down. It creates connection and understanding. And then the final step is empathy. And given all that, 
I can only imagine you must be feeling very frustrated and, and isolated and, and, and angry or whatever it is they may be feeling. Is that what you're feeling? And then they say, yeah, and resentful or they add to it or whatever. And so those are the three steps of deep listening. Mirroring, validation, and empathy. Yeah, you got yeah. it. Awesome stuff. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have genuinely enjoyed this conversation. And just like that, an hour has zipped on by, which is very fun time bending. <laughs> Part of the reason why I love these is bend time pretty Yeah, quickly. it's been so nice, um, Josh. And you've got such a talent at being present and asking the right questions to get what you're looking for. Thank you. And it's an enjoyment. And, and this is a great example, kind of what you were talking about, of, of something that I realized I really love doing something that I have a unique ability of doing. And here's a cool application. I can create a podcast. You right. Can create a podcast. You can do it completely for free if you want to. Right. Or you can hire people to help you with it as well. But yeah. there's it's a really cool application and outlet that also doesn't you don't have to just expressing yourself in that way as well. It doesn't necessarily, you don't have to earn income from it. Right. You know, maybe that can be happening down the future, but at least expressing that and sharing and adding value through your unique abilities brings such a level of fulfillment that just makes for such a better experience. Yeah. You know, you're in your superpower when you're just really enjoying it and you yeah. don't know where it's going, Yeah, but you're just there. On the leading edge, just yeah. eager. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, Debbie, thank you. Thank you so much. And I would love to, at some point, we'll get you and Craig together because that would be fun. That would be fun. A little, three, yeah. a little three-person interview so we can um, we can dig into some more of these. I'm sure you guys got some more stories and, and the book that you wrote together, which is, I'm sure, an amazing process. So. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Debbie. So much fun. Always.